Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Sign at Bidif 2019. If you say mental wellness three times, some asshole in a live, love, laugh t-shirt will appear and tell you to go outside. Relationship to the self is critical when considering mental wellness. Often we think of that relationship purely being a mental one, but many things comprise one's relationship to the self, including sleep, hydration, diet, and exercise. Dax is again my guest today as we discuss the evidence-based approaches to coping with struggles in mental wellness. We discuss our real-life experiences of coping with depression and anxiety, and hopefully throw some insight in there that might help you understand either people with depression or perhaps your own human experience. Enjoy. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with Dax, a psychology undergrad graduate who has lived with depression for all of her life. Is it fair to say that? Um, I wouldn't say the entire thing. Nope. I was an infant once with presumably no mental health concerns. I can't remember a state where I didn't have mental health concerns. My very first memory is running in fear from my father as he went to physically discipline me when I was three years old. That's my first memory. Yeah, I guess you could say all of life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for you, you had memories presumably before depression and anxiety. What, what are those yeah, like? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would have been quite, quite young. Fair enough. Um, do you want to give me like a brief summary of your mental wellness before you started looking into physical activity and like fight training? Um. Like, how does your body feel physically when you're depressed? Heavy. Um, I mean, it presents in, I, I guess, a few different ways. Um, before I understood what the actual symptoms were and like what depression actually was and how it's defined and um, diagnosed in the first place, things like anhedonia don't typically pop pop into your head when you think of someone saying depressed, you think sad mm -hmm. um, and you think sad all the time, which isn't necessarily true. Sometimes I've experienced, say, like three months with like sad all the time, no break at all ever. But I hadn't really experienced that before that. Like usually there were times where if I was out with people, um, you know, it's not necessarily faking it and you're not necessarily not depressed, but it, it kind of gives you a break for a little bit, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, it's like relief. Yeah, yeah, but bits of relief in, in between, and then you'll you know you'll dip and dive back into it. Mm-hmm. 
that has been my expression, my experience of depression, or very similar to as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the anhedonia. Um, I, I can remember having a conversation with someone um, just before like graduating university, kind of thing, and just describing a sort of boredom with life like it it was distressing enough to me that I was seeking some something from you know people that I was talking to about it but I couldn't really I wouldn't have described it as depression and I didn't know that that's what it was but looking back on it it was like a huge signal of like it's you know maybe the first part of it for me like at first I'll experience the anhedonia things don't seem worth doing Um, nothing kind of makes me happy in any way it's all just seems boring and mediocre not worth doing then you stop doing the things that you know was making you happier and participating in life and it Mm kind of just spirals spirals from there but yeah that first sign for me anyway always tends to be that anhedonia and before I was aware of that, you couldn't catch it. But once you're aware of it, then you can say, okay, well, you know, I don't feel like doing anything, but if I force myself to do a kickboxing class, I know at this point, like I, I can pretty much guarantee you that no matter what mood I go in, I come out feeling good. Now, just for clarity, um, when we use really big words on the show, we do our best to try and make it comprehensible and accessible for folks who don't know them. What is anhedonia? Right. Um, just the, the feeling, the lack of pleasure in things that you used to find pleasurable. Really. Right. So a sense of boredom. I typically notice anhedonia as I'm dipping into depression. Mm-hmm. It's like I'll, I'll notice that the depression sort of has me while I'm still in like a really normal mood. And it's like my mood hasn't really tanked. My affect hasn't tanked. I'm still sort of running through life, but it's like my my brain is very sludgy. Like there's there's a lot of that. Like this feels like this used to give me a lot of pleasure. I used to really enjoy doing this. And now it just feels like boring and I don't really understand. Like I can't relate to my former self. That's another yeah, yeah. tell for me. Yeah. And that's a uh, yeah, big red flag. Um, as soon as you can you know, you go through it a number of times, you can start recognizing it. And at that point, yeah, it's okay. This is cause for concern. If I keep going down this path, um, I'm not going to like the outcome. Right. I need to change something. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And I, I like that you pointed out the significance of awareness of one's own behavioral patterns, Mm -hmm. because as I've experienced more and more depression in my life, I've become better at identifying, oh, here's what the beginning phase looks like. Here's sort of all the red flags. And then I started learning um, what that, not rock bottom, but that really <laughs> low place looked like. Yeah. And and what clawing my way up, you know, girl from the ring style out of the well, what that looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. And I started learning tools to do that better and faster. And I started learning tools to not sink as low in the depression. And Right. Some- that, that's pretty important, too. Yeah. And that, for me, I learned a lot of those in cognitive behavioral therapy because I didn't have a degree in psychology. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, that that is a, a hugely useful tool. Um, 
it, it, it can take a while, I think, to Definitely. accept that you need to change the way you think. Oh, yeah. Though, like, that's a really difficult thing to accept someone telling you, like, you're thinking wrong. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I thought, I thought it made a lot of sense to me when I first heard it, but I was like, and... <laughs> Yeah, I, I am well aware that my thought patterns right now are like, I am such a complete failure. There's no hope left in my life. Um, what's the point of it all? Like, I'm, I'm never going to go anywhere with this. The rest of my life feels overwhelming, like this gigantic expanse of time that I can't imagine experiencing all of. Like, experiencing the next few weeks seems like a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then having someone actually like ask really good questions about like like why does it feel so overwhelming or like just just ask like really genuine leading questions even though like looking back and like some of those counselors must have been like this is the 50th time I've heard this and they <laughs> oh, are gonna yeah. give me the most like boring painstaking obvious answer mm -hmm. but they were able to sort of approach it with compassion and just ask honestly and and seemed to be convincingly interested in me and, like, that is an incredible talent and skill if you've heard the same answers over and over again. But I just, Yeah, I which they have, like, guaranteed. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I even heard a student that I used to work with say, you know, depression is boring now because, you know, he'd already worked with so many. And, the, you know, it's the, it's the same coping mechanism list, you know, that you can pick from. It's the same, you know, start with the basics. Make sure you're drinking enough water. Make sure you're, you know, you're eating well. Um, you know, mm -hmm. you can do so many other things, but if you're not doing those things, that's your base. If you don't have a solid foundation, then everything else is really weak. Even some sense of sleep structure, like I go to sleep at the same time every night, that can be really big in staving off depression, mm -hmm. I found. Yeah, it, I mean, it depends what, what's setting it off, too. And yeah, the, the lack of any of those things really affects people more than I think they mm -hmm. even register. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I think it's, it's really easy to say, you know, I don't have work tomorrow. I totally can stay up and yeah. stay up five hours. Um, mm -hmm. I've done that. I've stayed up until the sun came up and then been like, oh, Oops. I have overshot. Um, and then you try and sleep and you and you sleep like six hours and you're like not getting good restful sleep. And then you get up and you're just like, now my like eating schedule's off and my sleeping schedule's off and I feel dehydrated and I just feel like irritable. And it just like, it really exacerbates my downward spirals if I'm not sleeping well. That makes a lot of sense. Um, fortunately, I can't totally relate because I don't <laughs> typically get issues with sleep. I'm more of the hypersomnia direction than insomnia. So Whereas I sleep I'm, a lot. I'm more insomnia. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've felt that, that tired feeling, of course. So I can see how that would make things seem so much and, and they would feel so much worse. Mm-hmm. I get this restless, anxious energy when I'm really intensely depressed. Mm -hmm. So I'll like want to pace around. I won't want to go to bed. Whereas other folks will get this like super lethargic, why even get out of bed? And like you said, hypersomnia, sleeping too much rather than insomnia, not sleeping at all. Right. Also, I would smoke before bed and that would probably help. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. so, um, so like um, taking in cannabis, for example, promoting yeah. falling asleep for you. Yeah. When I 
I briefly quit for about six to eight months, about a year ago. And that was a time where it initially anyway, it was difficult for me to get to sleep. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've also talked about physical symptoms like psychomotor retardation, which is that feeling of being really slow and like yeah. the effort you'd go to to move your limbs a certain amount seems to move them less now. Yeah, to- and you're just physically heavy and slow. Um, yeah, just slow. Mm-hmm. Which explains why a stimulant would be such a good um, med. We'll go into meds more later. But- yeah, yeah. We're still talking about other coping because um, we did an intro on depression and now we're talking about coping strategies with depression. I'm super excited to talk more about physical activity. When did you first realize that physical activity was super helpful for you, particularly in depression? Um, I initially was at a conference and I watched a presentation about how exercise affects depression and it suggested that intense exercise was the best um, had the best outcome for people with depression Um, so really you know what I got out of that was okay something really high intensity um, but then you also need to be doing something f- that you find fun enough to mm-hmm. want to do and to want to, you know, continue doing. Um, so I initially joined a cardio kickboxing gym with a friend of mine back in Ontario. And a lot of the social aspects were really fun, but I also... Um, I wanted to be a person who was strong and who could um, know how to defend themselves or or fight in some way, like know how to punch, know how to throw a kick rather than just, you know, kind of flailing around weakly. And I was really weak and I didn't know how to, you know, punch or kick or anything if, you know, a five-year-old could have, you know, beat me up if they really wanted to at the time. (laughs) sorry i'm just imagining a flailing toddler (laughs) right so what changes in your mental health did you notice as you started doing more physical activity um i don't think i even really connected it with the physical activity entirely at the time Mm. um initially when i started developing all of my coping strategies was during and after a lot of the education that I had um, in school. And so I was doing a lot of different things at once. So I didn't just tie it to the kickboxing because I was also getting a lot of the social bonding from there and, you know, just getting out of the house. But also at the same time, I had just joined a Toastmasters club. And so I was doing all of the things that I was really scared of doing, walking into a gym as someone so small and so weak, and particularly, you know, the things I would have been interested in doing, like I wanted to learn martial arts, but there's that added, most most of the people there are going to be men, and so there's, you know, that added, now they also think I'm going to be even weaker, and also like I am a lot weaker and 
you don't develop the confidence that you can get the skills until you get the skills. Did you find that as you got the skills, you did start developing confidence? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think the Toastmasters was a big one. And um, after doing my first prepared speech there, which was the icebreaker speech, um, just kind of introducing yourself, I felt a million times more confident in my ability to speak in front of people and doing the the table topics, which was impromptu speeches in front of your club, um, you know, that really helped as well. Mm -hmm. And I remember in the vein of doing things that scared you because we were dating at the time, you ended up taking on a like funny speech. Do you remember that? A humorous speech. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. So I, I did Toastmasters out here as well. Um, oh, right. This was a different. So after, this was all your yeah. initial experiences in Ontario. And then yeah. you moved out to BC. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the move a little bit and how that impacted depression before we move on and talk about coping skills? Um, well, I mean, as suspected, I, sure. you know, put me into an episode of depression, which I had expected, but also was planning for. Mm. So my plan when I got here was to immediately join a gym. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the person I was dating at the time had agreed to join with me but for um, other reasons he was just too tired after work and things like that he never ended up joining with me mm -hmm. but I did continue to go and it was um, it became something that I, I really loved especially as I felt like I started to get better and start fitting in and you know I can still remember when you know one of the fighter amateur fighters mm -hmm. um you said said to me you're like okay now that you're good you know you can't get away with just going 100% on this kick kind of thing in training <laughs> um you know now now that you can actually hurt me um right. be careful mm -hmm. so when you think about really vigorous physical activity that you did as part of your coping like planning mm -hmm. um how frequently were you going to the gym um at first probably two to three times a week i didn't have a job for the first month that i was here right so yeah even still i mean i I, I experienced more of the physical exhaustion mm -hmm. side of things at that point. So, you know, I'd be really sore the next day. Um, yeah, particularly at the beginning, um, mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you don't know the technique for certain things. And then on top of that, you've got most of your partners are 50 plus pounds more than you. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you started two to three times a week and how many hours each time? Uh, class was just an hour. Okay. So two to three hours a week. At its, at its height, when you were seeing the most benefit from the gym, how frequently were you going? It's difficult to say like the most benefit from the gym. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, I would only really say if I, like, 
I remember having to deal with a, a stressful car situation at a certain point, and I was so stressed, and I didn't think I was going to be able to get to the kickboxing class on that day. Um, and then, you know, I was able to, uh, for some reason, and, and I just said, you know, I need to make this happen because I know that um, this stress that I'm feeling isn't necessary because it, like it, it's being dealt with and you know mm -hmm. there's nothing more i can do um but that feeling of anxiety inside me is not going away and i know if i go to the gym almost immediately now you know i start skipping and it just kind of all fades away even if at first when i'm skipping i'm kind of ruminating on something mm -hmm. at some point during the class um it's just all gone Right. That, that just the act of being intensely physically active helps you sort of, um, I guess, would you say it, would you say it brings you to a more mindful place of like being in your body in the moment rather than focusing on other things? Yes. And it's, it's a different experience too. Cause if you're used to just looking in the mirror when you're getting ready in the morning, um, you know, you're, you're trying to cover up all your flaws or whatever, when you're putting on makeup, um, it's a different kind of focus when you're looking in the mirror while you're skipping, um, mm -hmm. you know, because to go from not being able to skip really well to developing the cardio to skip for three minutes straight, mm -hmm. that was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm watching myself in the mirror as I'm skipping and, and, you know, after a certain point, it's like, wow, you know, I'm doing this thing that I've didn't think I can do or I just couldn't do before and now I can do it and you know you feel good about that it's something that is a really objective measure of you doing well I remember actually attending your one of your first if not your first fight was it your second or was it actually your first it was my second okay yeah. your second fight I do, forgot about that yeah do you want to tell me how much um Let's just say at your peak going to the gym, how much, how many hours a week were you going? Because um, I remember there were several classes and you would go several times a week and you were trying to get to the gym more. Yeah. Okay. So for a six week training camp, the goal is to be training six days a week. Um, there would be Fridays where I would do the kickboxing beginner class and then stay for the boxing class afterwards. So that would have been, say, like a two and a half hour workout. Um, most weeks I probably got maybe five days a week. And one of them would be one or two of those days might even be running, depending on how I was feeling. Um, a training camp is really difficult and, mm -hmm. and that was my second one. And I had decided that I was going to do it a little bit different so that I was feeling better going into the fight versus feeling super worn down and, and almost overdoing it and overtraining and, you know, continuing to train through injuries. Um, it's really stupid. I mean... <laughs> You know, great, I got the cardio from running, but I don't feel confident standing on that leg. Um, right. Kind of, there's a balance. I remember you talking about the importance of continuing to train even when you were injured, though, because you were worried that if you stopped physically training, you would lose the benefits for your mental health. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a huge fear for me. And that's probably what's behind most a lot of my motivation for doing things, um, especially difficult things like going to the Toastmasters and developing uh, public speaking skills. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the things that is like people rate as their number one fear is public speaking. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, uh, I'm going to tackle that one. Yeah. And you did. Like, you got an award for that humorous speech, did you not? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, it wasn't a huge deal. The clubs are fairly small. <laughs> <laughs> Do you notice how you're, uh, you're downplaying the, uh, the success? Like, the fact that you even went... <laughs> like, the success wasn't just the award. It was the fact that you went and spoke at all. It was a right, super... Right, part, I remember right. how nervous you were about that. Like, I remember yeah. how much you were like, why did I agree to do this? This was the worst thing I could have possibly have chosen. Why did I choose to do this? This is just going to be absolutely awful. I often put myself into situations where I'm like, what kind of bad decisions led <laughs> to this situation right here? Like, why am I in a ring? My first fight was someone who's had 10 fights. Like, what was I thinking right. to just keep going along with it and saying, no, 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 I trained for six weeks. I'm not backing out just because she's more experienced than expected. Like tenfold, tenfold more experienced. Yeah, yeah. She didn't didn't knock you out, though. No. And my thought process going in was like, how long can six minutes really be? Um, You know, (laughs) and that's the max. I mean, if she knocked me out before then, you know, it'd be even less. Way less anxiety. Yeah, or less time doing that right of of taking the pounding yeah. so but didn't she win on decision she did yeah it was unanimous decision but still everyone like, agreed including <laughs> myself that like yeah she won yeah. even my coach in the third round at some point he was he just yelled out and like you're losing um because he wanted me to do something that i wasn't doing i was just like i'm too scared to do that i'm sorry like i'm not throwing that kick i'm too scared <laughs> i'm i'm trying not to die here this person is trying to murder me right yeah like it, it was literally thinking that she was going to kill me i thought i was going to die or like had that chance the risk was there right you were like if she kicks me just right i might actually die yeah yeah i mean it's not out of the question it's it's pretty uncommon though i mean you had a helmet on and yeah yeah mouth guard in like you were it would have been pretty like that would have been like a pretty unlikely yeah the one thing i did take from that was that she didn't hit me nearly as hard as i thought she was going to Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's funny how with anxiety sometimes it's just that exposure of like, that seemed like the worst thing that could possibly ever happen to me. And it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I can handle. Right. Someone um, trying to murder me. Yeah. Going up against this particular thing that any, anything else should be easier after that. And uh, I, I definitely used that as a way to get through many things in the future. Mm-hmm. And even now when I'm feeling really bad about myself or feel like there's nothing good about myself um i i i think back and i'm like no you know i i work really hard and that's Mm -hmm. something that's a thing that i admire in people and that's a thing that i can admire in myself and you know here's some pretty concrete evidence that um one you worked hard and two you were successful at it and you really have some great skills that have come from that yeah 
And I don't think anyone can take that away from you. Like there's... No, even when I'm super depressed, you know, at some point I was training with a world-class fighter, not even just as his student, but like as a student beside him as a student kind of thing. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Like mm -hmm. the, the quality of coaching you had access to is really awesome. Yeah, and they just let anyone join. <laughs> it's crazy to me. You're like, you can, you can go to this gym right now. You can, yeah, anyone that just walks in can go. I just... Right, and with, with enough dedication and time and effort, they will eventually start working with you. Not that, not that they won't the entire time, but you might actually end up at the same sort of level of going and doing fights and training with world-class fighters. Yeah, for sure. You put in the time and the effort. If you're a good student, people want to teach you. Yeah. Eventually, if you're a girl. <laughs> sure. But no, no, my gym was actually um, pretty good to me all around, like, since I started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thinking about coping strategies for depression, we've talked about the basic kit of the ones that everyone gets bored hearing about, like sleep, yeah. eating, um, drinking, and making sure that, like, ha, drinking, ha, um, hydrating your diet and your sleeping schedule, like, as the sort of basic package. And then we talked about physical activity as, like, one of the things you can do. Right. So that you've got your physical activity. And that's even part of the basics, I would say. Sure, sure. Um, and... Yeah, I would say all of these are, are super basic, good foundations. I mean, you need to have a solid social support network yep. um, in order to feel like you belong somewhere and you have things to look forward to, things to look forward to, like novelty. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even if it's just, even if I go to the gym four times a week, I'm looking forward to going tomorrow. Right. Um, you know, that's a thing I have to look forward to. Um, it can be difficult for me sometimes, you know, on Fridays when I'm like, shit, there's no class, um, you know, until Sunday or until Monday now. I have to wait, you know, these four days if I don't have other things lined up in between to look forward to. Um, it, it can, yeah, the time can just stretch and expand in front of you. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And that comes back to that idea of like the overwhelming expanse of time that mm -hmm. makes up the rest of my life kind of feeling. Yeah, I try not to think about that too much. <laughs> um, so you'd say that your self-esteem then changed when you were doing physical activity. Yeah, yeah. How did your opinion of your body change? Um, I, I'm much, much improved as well, of course. Um, you know, I could see the physical differences after, um, it, it took quite some time for me to notice the differences, but you notice that your clothes fit differently. Um, for me, I, I liked really seeing, you know, my leg muscles start to become noticeable. Um, it was a good, um, concrete evidence of the work that I'd put in. And yeah, it's nice to look nicer to other people as well. And and you perceived um, being more in shape as looking nicer to other people. It wasn't just that you thought you, you, you liked your body more. You thought others would like your body more as well. Yes and no, because for like gaining a lot of muscle, for example, that's something that I think a lot of women tend to fear getting bulky and being mm -hmm. unattractive and certainly at the time 
the guy I was dating said something about not being attracted to like really bulky women wow, kind of thing. Wow, um, what a douche. Yeah. And I, and I said, okay, well, I'm like, you don't have to sleep with me. That's fine. <laughs> like, but I'm still going to try not. you're not attracted to me, whatever. Uh, wow. <laughs> I just, so, cause I remember dating you when you were at, at, um, I won't say the name, but at the gym that you were at. Yeah. And I mean, like I came to your fight and I was like a little terrified for you going into that fight <laughs> and was super proud of you when you won by decision mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, you killed it. You did such a good job. Yeah, I don't think I ever would have been okay in public with, say, like just a sports bra other than in that scenario. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um I'm I'm very it's not that I dislike the way I look but I am very paranoid of people seeing me um or or just feel really uncomfortable without being fully clothed especially in public but really around anyone um, even, even people you're sleeping with Yeah yeah says so one of them says so one of them Um <laughs> and for the know. record for the record <laughs> I was very attracted to you when you were <laughs> "Quote unquote bulky." You just I'm was, bulkier now. You just exude confidence and happiness and just comfort, in addition to the normal anxiety vibes that you always <laughs> exuded, and those are all attractive vibes. Yeah, someone being healthier and more positive in general, I think probably um, is that's attractive. I think. Mm-hmm. But in any case, I was just happy to see you doing well. And, like, I can't believe you had a partner say that that was unattractive. Like, go back to being horrifically depressed all the time. Yeah, it was almost, it was almost as if he didn't want me to continue working hard so that I would continue getting these gains. I think he was probably insecure about my increasing confidence and the fact that I was becoming... I was lessening the gap of, you know, his physical strength and my physical strength or, you know, I was becoming more confident than he was, something like that. Yeah, or that you were working hard to improve yourself and that that made him feel really insecure about the fact that he wasn't doing anything to improve his life significantly. Yeah, he's definitely one of those, like, I am who I am people. Um, Right, right. You know, I'm never going to change. Probably never will. That's... uh unfortunate because there's so much value in change especially Mm -hmm. if you don't like something about yourself or about your experience yeah yeah hmm yeah so did you feel any resistance to start doing physical activity when you weren't doing any like did you feel like it was going to be really hard and you just didn't want to go um i felt like it was going to be really humiliating because i was so weak because i was much smaller um yeah, it's also when you're going to say like a fighting gym and you're learning kickboxing, a lot of the stuff you do is in partners. Mm-hmm. And if you're a lot smaller than everyone else they and much less experienced, they don't want to partner with you. Right. And it's not just because you're a woman, it's also because you are that much smaller and and inexperienced because a lot of times like people with a lot of experience prefer to partner with you know the same kind of experience level and probably weight class too yeah if they can and and i mean the men have so many more options in that scenario whereas if there's another woman in the class like she's my partner right 
yeah, even just from, I guess, height matching, that's... Yeah, r- regardless also... of how much experience she's got, she's partnering with me. Right, right. But you also partnered with, with men a lot of the time, and you developed friends that were similar-ish enough, especially as you got more experienced. Yeah, um, I would credit a lot of the comfort I developed at the gym to one person in particular who was or is um, very short. And I think he had a difficult time at his previous gym. Um, To me, it very much looked like someone who is experienced feeling the way that I feel and who doesn't want me to have that same experience, who's treating me like an equal. And, um, you know, he seemed happy to be my partner and would often partner with me, um, you know, when no one else wanted to. And you know what? I did improve. And a lot of it was, um, you know, because of him and and saying, hey, you know, I think you would really benefit from doing some extra pad work outside of class. You know, I'm willing to hold pads for you once a week kind of thing, um, which is an, an amazing offer. I mean, if someone who really knows what they're doing, holding pads, offers you their time in that way, um, that that's worth quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That's something I also notice you do really well is when offers are made or you see opportunities, you tend to, to jump at them. I'm an opportunist, yeah. <laughs> I like how you take something that's even that positive that I'm saying about you <laughs> and turn it into, I'm an opportunist, which has an almost negative connotation to it. <laughs> that was impressive. That was impressive. It's one of my skills. <laughs> so I was going to ask, how did you overcome the resistance to going? All that fear of humiliation sounds very demotivating. I would definitely put me off of going. Oh, yeah. It was so hard every time for so long. It sounds like <laughs> me with counseling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at a certain point, you just, you know, I had my goal and I decided that that's just what I was going to do. You know, I am I picked this gym because it had so many amazing fighters there. Um, and I secret, it was a secret for quite some time, you know, wanted to get to that level and, you know, be able to fight myself. Like that, would, you know, to me, it was the coolest thing ever. Those amateur fighters that I saw when I first started, um, you know, that thinking back on it, they have less experience than I have now. I was just in awe of them. I like idolized them. Um, yeah, so I, I decided, you know, that that's my goal. And my theory was that the human body can handle quite a bit. All you need to do is keep doing it. And eventually your body will just get used to it. Right. And to a large extent, I think your body really did. Yeah. I mean, oh, you, for sure. For sure. I mean, you went one and one. Mm-hmm. Like you did, you did win your last fight, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. I was like, that gave me euphoric levels for at least two weeks. I just <laughs> rode that high. It was amazing. My coach said like, as you know, they raised my hand to win and there was a huge smile on my face, of course. Um, and then he said, you know, he looked at me, you know, an hour or two later and, you know, he's like the same smile, like he did not budge. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean, that was the coolest thing I've ever done in my entire life. It really was super cool. Yeah. 
I'm just happy I was there to witness it. I still have the stub from the fight on on that board over there. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's not on my wall anymore, but because that's where it was. Oh. Um, but it got moved to my like my like board of stuff that I keep on my wall. It's just behind my door. Nice. Yeah, that was a huge moment. But I will show you later because I still have it up. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it was it was worth witnessing, and I was very very proud of you. So, do you have any? Um, next steps or advice for folks that may be struggling to join a gym or do something physical? To get started, um, accept that things are going to be uncomfortable. Um, become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, I kind of equated things with like, you know, if it's really hard for me to make phone calls, for example, um, you know, I'll put it, push it off, procrastinate, whatever. Um, maybe that's like, say a six or a seven out of 10 on the anxiety mm -hmm. scale. Um, if going to the gym is say like an eight out of 10 on the anxiety scale or even a nine, like that's not that far from the phone call, you know, it's like if it's not going to be that much more difficult than making a phone call or, you know, meeting up with someone or having some sort of confrontation, then it's worth it to work through those same sort of feelings for something that is going to potentially help you so much more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you've been such a master of that strategy. I've seen you do that with things that seem like they would be a 10 out of 10 for me, like the most anxious thing ever. And you're like, eh, it's not that much worse than this other thing that I've done. And like, really, as a person with anxiety, everything's already at like a 7 out of 10 when normal people would be at a 1 out of 10. So if my scale is from a 7 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10, how much harder is a 10 than a 7? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you just get used to dealing with things that terrify you. Um and it's easier to work from a place of fear and hate, I think, than um, than like seeking pleasure, like self-love. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I hated who I was. So I said, fine, stop keeping yourself comfortable and avoiding all of the things that you think you need to do and just do them because you hate yourself. If you don't like yourself, then, you know, put yourself into this public speaking club. Like, that'll be great. Um, here's a way to punish yourself. Totally. Um, but make it things that will benefit you. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the ways that I stayed alive, actually, when I was really highly suicidal. Um, after one of my partners tried to kill herself in front of me, I was like, well... You don't deserve the sweet release of death just yet. You really <laughs> deserve to suffer through like the crippling levels of depression and self-hatred you're currently experiencing. And like you don't get to kill yourself and just be done with it and leave her to have to deal with the pieces. Right. And I mean, if that's all you got, use it. And like every day was like that for me for a long time, like probably between three to seven months mm -hmm. of just like wanting to kill myself every day and going, you don't deserve to die. Yep. Yeah. So that's a powerful tool. I'm not saying that was healthy. I'm not saying it's ideal, but it's healthier than killing yourself. Yeah. And I mean, that love hate line is, you know, fairly similar. I mean, if you hate someone, you care about them. Like, yeah. you know, you, you don't hate someone that is, you know, if someone's neutral to you, then mm -hmm. you couldn't care less. But if you're hating them, you're caring in some way. And if that's where you need to start, then start there. You must have really cared about people you used to work with. <laughs> <laughs> 
So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land Acknowledgement I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemlupste Sekwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.